are starting a new series um, today, and uh, we're, we're titling it a framework uh, for life. And uh, really what we're trying to do over the next number of weeks together as a church community is explore this idea of what does it mean to be the people of God in our current cultural moment? What does it mean to be the people of God in our current cultural moment? What does it mean for us uh, to live as the children of God in the kingdom of God here on this earth? And, and, and it's, a, it's a pretty potent moment, isn't it? I mean, there's all kinds of anxiety and fear and doubt and questions and division and angst. And, and we could go on and on and on with kind of the current cultural moment that we live in. And the question that, once again, we're just trying to take over the next six weeks is, is what does it mean for you and I as the people of God, as the children of God, to live in this world? To live in the culture but not be a part of the culture, right? How do we shape and influence it? How do we approach it? Are we just supposed to retreat? Are we supposed to advance? What are we supposed to do? How do we live in the current cultural moment that we're living in? And, uh, and so over the next six weeks, we're going to take some time just to try to understand uh, what, is, what framework does God give us for living life here on earth? Today is just an introduction. And, uh, and so you're going to have to be patient with me. Um, it's kind of like a teaser. It's like a pilot. You know, you know all the, the fall shows are starting and some new shows have started. And some of you have maybe watched a new show, you know, that's kind of just come on TV. And it's like, it's just a pilot. It's just a teaser. You got to watch next week. And then the next week, and the next week to kind of get the whole picture of what we're going to talk about. But we're going to spend the next six weeks exploring the framework that God has given us for how we as the children of God, how we as the people of God live life here on earth, and I believe make a difference. How many of you believe that God has called you and I to make a difference here on earth? Amen? And, and that can be tough time sometimes because there's all kinds of things that we bump up against and trying to figure those things out. And so today is really just introduction. Today is just how do we posture ourselves? What position do we take? Like I said, do we take a, a retreat position? Do we take a, okay, I'm going to fight position? What, what, how do we posture ourselves in our current context as the children of God so that we can be the people of God to the world that we currently live in? And, and so this is what just kind of today is all about. So there's this old Chinese proverb, and it goes something like this. If you want to know what water is, don't ask a fish. Some of you got that. Some of you are still thinking about it because it's pretty early. Probably the 10 o'clock crowd. <laughs> if you want to know what water is, don't ask a fish. And of course, what the Chinese, old Chinese proverb is trying to tell us is that, that these fish aren't aware that they're in water because they're so surrounded. They're just surrounded by this thing. It's just kind of their natural environment. And in many respects, for you and I, we live in a current, we live in a culture, and we'll talk about that a little bit, um, where culture is to humans what water is to fish. That for most of us, we're not really aware of it. We don't think consciously about it. We don't kind of spend time kind of pressing in to try and understand the worldview or the beliefs or the expectations or the currents that flow underneath and beneath kind of all of the things that we just kind of enjoy and do in our, our regular daily lives. But, but we, you and I, we live in a culture. We're surrounded by it. It's seen, it's unseen. It's something that we can understand. It's something that's on the surface, but it's also something that's beneath the surface. It's things that, that we, there's undercurrents, there's beliefs, there's worldviews, there's all of these things 
that we're involved in or are surrounded by or swim in, so to speak, but we don't spend a lot of time thinking about those things. And the question, as we just ponder and think about culture and how do you and I live in culture, the question that I want us to pose or think about today is how do we live in culture but not be swept away by culture? One of the things that's so interesting is that so many of the New Testament writers wrote about a battle that was taking place, a spiritual battle, a battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Paul in Galatians, he described it as, that as a battle that goes on between the flesh and the spirit. And the reality is that every single one of us lives in the middle of this battle. How do we live out life in Jesus in this current context? Well, the good news is that the New Testament writers wrote about this a lot. And I want you to, if you've got your Bibles, to turn over to 1 John chapter 2, and I'm going to read a couple of verses. We've got quite a bit of scripture we're going to get through today. Is that okay that we use the Bible in church? Okay, good, good, because I thought this was a friendly crowd to use the Bible with, you know? Um, and this is what it says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. It says, don't set the affections of your heart on this world. Don't set the affections of your heart on this world. So, so uh, John is already kind of right, getting right to the point. He wants us to have a perspective that is different, to have affections that are different from maybe what we see around us in the world in which we live. And he goes on and he says this, the love of the Father and the love of the world are incompatible. So once again, there's that tension, there's that friction, there's that battle that we were just chatting about. Verse 16, for all that the world can offer us, the gratification of the flesh, the allurement of the things of the world, and the obsession with status and importance, none of these things come from the Father, but from the world. This world and its desires are in the process of passing away, but those who, do, who love to do the will of God will live forever. And so what John is saying here, he's saying, I want you to set the affections of your heart, those things that drive you, those things that motivate you, those things that are inside of you that, that and, and once again, anytime the Bible is talking about the heart, it's talking about the epicenter of your existence as a human being. So he's going right to that place and he's saying that the engine in your life ought not to be driven by the things of the world, but ought to be driven by your love for God. And, and so you immediately see kind of this tension. Now, what's interesting is that, that Paul or John, when he uses this word a world, it could mean all kinds of different things, right? It's the little Greek word cosmos. And, and what he's not obviously referring to is the natural world because Paul, what John's not saying is that, you know, don't set your affections on the natural world, world because, well, why not? Well, remember, God created the world. And when God created the world, how, what word did God use to describe the world? It is good. So God created the world and it was good. In fact, it was beautiful. It was built for um, his glory and our good that we were designed to enjoy it. I went hiking yesterday uh, and I, I, it was dumb. I went, I, I left at like seven in the, in, the, in the morning and I thought, well, I'll get home maybe around lunchtime because I do these short hikes. But yesterday we decided to go up like basically to the top of Mount Hood. So I'm up at 9,000 feet getting a sunburn, by the way. But, but I, I was just sitting there, and I, I took almost, it must have been like 30 minutes, and it was a crystal clear day, and I'm looking at just this vast expanse and just recognizing this is God's good world. God created beauty 
for his glory. He created beauty for you and I to enjoy. And so what, Paul, what John's not saying here is he's not talking about the natural world. We also know that, that he's not talking about people. So he's not saying, hey, you should be kind of, you know, don't set your affections on kind of people or don't be at, at war with people, right? Because once again, people are created in the image of God. In fact, when God created Adam and Eve and he created mankind or humankind, what he said was not just that it was good, but what? That it was very good. And so what we recognize that John in this passage is actually talking about is he's not saying you're not at odds with the the natural world, you're not at odds with people that are created in the image of God, but you're going to have a battle, you're going to have a fight with what modern day people call culture, systems of thought, patterns, ways of being, worldviews, beliefs, they're at odds with the teaching and practice of Jesus. And so John's trying to help us understand that, man, when you choose to follow Jesus, you're not just kind of entering into a love relationship with the creator of the universe. Because you're choosing to follow Jesus, you're stepping into a battle. And I want you to see and understand this morning that that battle is not with people, that battle is not with the world, but that battle is with a system or with a spiritual warfare or spiritual battle that is resistant to the practices and the way of Jesus. It's what the New Testament writers say, the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of this world. The flesh versus the spirit. And so we enter into a a battle, not just personally, but we enter into a battle even as a family of God. So how do we posture ourselves? It says this in Ephesians chapter two. You got your Bible, you can flip over to Ephesians chapter two, back a few pages. And this is what it says in verses one and two. As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. So do you see what Paul's now picking up on the same theme? He's saying, he said, you were dead, and when you were dead in your sin, dead in your trespasses, what did you do? You followed the practices and the ways of the system within which you lived, under whom's power and control you were under. But he says, and those are the rulers of the kingdom of the earth, the spirit who's at work in those who are disobedient. In other words, there's this kind of sense of there's a spiritual thing going on underneath the surface that's trying to sweep people away. You ever, you ever been in a situation where you just kind of got caught up with something? Maybe you were in college and uh, you know, all your buddies were just gonna go kind of spring break or let's say it's the weekend and man, you just kind of go with the flow and you get swept up in it. And there's some sort of just spirit that just kind of takes over, right? Um, Well, this is what he's talking about in this passage. But he goes on, he says this, all of us also lived under them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And, And so what Paul and John and the New Testament writers are doing, are they're trying to help us understand the context within which we live, which is a spiritual battle. It's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And the question is, how do we posture ourselves? Now, over the next few weeks, we're gonna unpack the framework, the narrative, the story that God gives us for how we ought to live as the members of the kingdom of God in this world. But today, I simply wanna address what's the posture that you and I should take? What place do we take? What way do we handle those things? How do we, how do we live out life here on earth? Well, there's a couple of things that I think it's important for us to recognize is, is number one, how many of you would agree with me that, man, I feel the tension of that battle? 
right? I mean, you feel the tension of that battle internally, but you also feel it externally. You feel it internally because Paul described it this way in Romans. He says, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I know I should do. Anybody else ever been there or is it just me? The rest of you are lying. <laughs> and we're in church. <laughs> but, but you feel it internally. You, you, you do things that you know you shouldn't do or, or you just kind of choose to handle a circumstance kind of just, man, my flesh or my carnality just kind of takes over. Can I be honest with you this morning? I was taking my wife to work and... Uh, not to work, sorry, to the airport. This was on Thursday morning. She was leaving to go to, Wednesday morning, she was leaving to go to see my daughter and, and uh, we were kind of running a little bit late. And there may have been something that was forgotten and we had to go back to the house. I know that never happens to any of you. And so I was probably a little bit agitated, just keeping it real, folks. And so we pull out of our house and we get down to the kind of this, I was supposed to turn uh, right, but then something had been forgotten and so I had to kind of figure out how to get turned around and, and I wasn't thinking and I pull out and my wife screams, car! Yes, we're in a car, I get it. <laughs> of course, there's a car coming, you know, and I'm, it's like I'm causing an accident right now. So of course, me being the spiritual man that I am, say, honey, thank you so much I so appreciate that you're looking out for the well-being of our souls, our bodies, our spirits. No, 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 that's not how I responded. Why are you shouting at me? Right? You feel that tension, don't you? I know that that's not the right way to respond. I know that because I'm a follower of Jesus, I know because Jesus lives in my heart, man, I should be patient and gracious and grateful for my wife's alertness where I was absent-minded, right? but I missed it, and I responded carnally. And the reality is that you have moments like that every day of your life, don't you? And there's this tension that you feel between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of self or the kingdom of this world. But you also feel it in the world in which we live. We feel it in the pluralism in our society that Jesus is just another option. You know, I'll take a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of Buddha and a little bit of Hinduism, a little bit of secularism, I'll mix them all together and I'll come up with my view of life. And you know that if you've kind of been around people, man, there's just kind of this pluralism or dualism in life where there's all of these belief systems and we just kind of mix them all together. But you also feel that tension in the laws that get passed sometimes in our country. You feel it in the, the tension of media, which sometimes seems to openly mock Christianity and Christi uh, criticize Christian thought. You, you feel the tension, and, and especially if you're a parent raising kids in today's world, you feel it with the sexual ethic of our day. Because so much of, of the, the identity, sexual identity, sexual gender, um, all of these kinds of issues that go on our culture, you feel the tension of it because it doesn't seem to align with the way and the teaching of Jesus, the way G God designed humanity to function. You feel the tension of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And, and so... Many sociologists, and I just want to read this, many sociologists today, they, they say culturally that you and I, we're living in an era, at least at a popular level, that social commentators call, are calling post-Christian. In other words, we live in a culture that, that, that 
once again, I, not that it was ever a Christian culture, but it was influenced by Judeo-Christian ethics. If you go back to kind of the time maybe of your grandparents or before or your great-grandparents, you would go back to a day where maybe the, the laws of the land or maybe the, the, just kind of the atmosphere in the country was maybe just a little bit more kind of in tune with a Judeo-Christian ethic. That it seemed a little bit more in step with what you believe to be the teachings of Jesus and the practice of his way and the way we would live life. But we now live in a day where, where that influence isn't what it once was. That it's a different day, it's a different era. And so as a result, you feel this growing tension between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Not that it's not always been there, but we're more aware of it, we're more alert to it because things have shifted and changed. And so my question is, man, how do we, as parents, as grandparents, as students, Right? As those who do life in our community and in our culture, how do we live in that kind of culture? Well, I think there's a couple of things that we need to recognize. And you've heard me say some of these things even over the past few weeks. But the first thing is we've just got to acknowledge that there's been a shift. There's been a cultural shift. Things are different today than they were 50, 60, 70 years ago. Some of us weren't around, but some of us lived out of that season. And the, Charles Taylor says this. He says, we've moved into... What at a popular level, what some have called the age of authenticity. In other words, our culture wants the freedom to live and express itself however it wants to. And I've talked about this, even last week we talked about this a little bit, that we live in a culture of expressive individualism, right? That, that, that culture is a blank canvas on which I get to kind of decide or express myself. And so what happens in our culture is that society has to bend to my will, not my will bend to that of societies. And so if you were to go back 50, 60 years ago, it used to be that, man, there used to be kind of a little bit more of a community standard and we kind of agreed to some things and this is just kind of how we live. But we now live in a day where it's a little bit more like, no, 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 it bends to the, the, the will of culture kind of bends towards my will. Sociologists call it the psychological self. But, but, you know, you see that show up practically in these kinds of statements. You maybe heard this, you do you. Anybody ever heard that one? That's probably, that, that, can I just be honest? Pet peeve. <laughs> you do you. And I go, how's that working? <laughs> right? Because the Bible says that our heart is deceitful. It's wicked, it tends to misguide us. And so I'm not gonna trust myself, I've gotta trust someone outside of myself to learn how it is I ought to live. Maybe you heard this statement, um, go ahead and discover the true you, right? Or um, um, you're the hero, snowflake. <laughs> Express yourself. Go chase your dreams, right? You see it in music and media and TV and in movies, right? Um, parents, don't hate me for this, okay? But, but um, there's this character in this really popular movie that Disney put out called Frozen, called Elsa, and she sings this song. It's gonna be in your head for the rest of the day, okay? Don't hate me. But, but listen to the words of the song. I'm not gonna try and sing it to you. Um, it says this, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go, let it go. <laughs> Come on. You left me hanging there, guys. You're supposed to sing it with me. My point is simply this. 
that culture, what I describe to you as this expressive individualism, right, is the current of our culture that shows up in the words of songs and, and uh, movies that are some of the most popular. And I'm not knocking it. My kids are too old for me to say that I love Frozen. That would be weird. So, but I'm not knocking it. My point is simply this, that we've got to acknowledge there's been a cultural shift, that we've moved from kind of more of a community, more of a kind of we're moving together to more of expressive individualism. It's all about me, myself, and I as I go home, hit my garage door opener, pull my car in, and then hit the garage door opener again so that none of my neighbors can see me, right? And so it's this freedom to do anything outside that would, you know, outside of, a, of you that would place conditions on you. And, and so in many respects, we live in a culture that has put you, me, at the center. Well, how many of you know that the kingdom of God doesn't place me at the center? Let me prove it. The first four words of the Bible, in the beginning, God. Who's at the center? God. And so for those, that are, those of us that are following Jesus Christ, we're not saying it's about me, we're saying, no, 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 it's about God. He's at the center of my existence. He's the one that, I, that I'm chasing after. And so we've got to recognize that, man, there's been some cultural shifts. But I, I actually believe that this is a setup for the body of Christ. Because one of the things that you see throughout the Bible is that, that when there are moments in, in life, and, and we're going to look at an example in a minute, but even when you look at the New Testament church, how many of you know that the Roman Empire wasn't in lockstep with the beliefs of the early church? <laughs> and here's the really good news. God didn't need them to be. In fact, we could go to modern-day Iran, and if you were to read and study, a little bit of study, to find out what's going on in modern-day Iran, how many of you know that modern-day Iran, is, its government is not in lockstep with the beliefs and practices of Christianity? But do you know that there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people getting saved in Iran? So God doesn't need a culture that's in lockstep with the kingdom of God to move. In fact, I actually believe that this is a setup from God. And I believe that God has called you and I to be a part of what he wants to do. And so the question that really we're trying to answer this morning is then how we need to recognize that God has given us an invitation to live redemptively within our culture. He said, I want you as my family to be a part of what I'm doing here on planet Earth. And I don't need all the conditions and culture to be perfect for that to happen. And so the question that I really want to ask us this morning is then, how then should we live? Now, there's this little word that's used throughout the Bible, um, and we're going, to, we're going to look at a couple of passages really quick, but it's used over and over and over again, and it's this little word, exile. Now, doesn't that sound like a fun word? You know, hey, kids, let's get in the car. We're going in exile. <laughs> oh, that doesn't sound like fun, Dad. Can't we go to Disney? Let it go, let it go. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I gotta stay on track. But what is exile? This is this, this guy, Lee Beach, I think he had a great definition. He said this, exile is the experience of knowing that one is an alien and perhaps in a hostile environment where the dominant values run counter to one's own value. Wow, isn't that amazing? That, that it's almost the experience of being a refugee, that that are a, another word that the New Testament uses is the word sojourner. In other words, 
The, the, the value system, the kingdom of God that, that shapes and dictates and leads and guides your and my life as, the fo- as followers of Jesus would run cult- counterculture to the culture in which we're in. And so it feels like a strange experience. It feels like I'm a little bit out of step. It feels like, man, how do I fit in to a culture that doesn't feel like it fits in with what I believe or would try to practice as the way of Jesus? Well, there's a passage, and there's a great example of this in the Old Testament. And if you've got your Bibles, turn over to the book of Daniel. Daniel, and we're just gonna look at a couple of verses and then something that was spoken to Daniel. But this is what it says in Daniel chapter one, verses three and four. It says, then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance. That means that they had to look like Carl Smith. He's sitting here right in the front row. Brenda said amen, right? Amen. <laughs> Although he's not, he's not young anymore, but he's good looking. All right, um, sorry, I got sidetracked again. Used without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding, learning and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them daily portions of food that, the, that, they, that they ate, the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. And so what's happening here in the Old Testament is that uh, Daniel, who probably is around somewhere around the ages of 13 to 15 years old, Daniel is kind of selected, picked up, whatever you want to throw in a paddy wagon, whatever we want to call it, but he's moved from Jerusalem, everything that he knows, and he's moved to this foreign city called Babylon. Now, I want you to put yourself in Daniel's shoes for a minute. Everything that he knew, everything that he was familiar with, his home life, his education, his family, the kids that he hung out with at the street corner and played football or whatever he played, right? Like everything that Daniel knew, everything that Daniel understood, everything that he experienced, he was ripped away from and he was transported as an exile into Babylon. What he was done was he was kind of inducted into this kind of three-year brainwashing indoctrination into the culture of the Chaldeans, into the culture of Babylon. And everything that he perhaps knew, understood, had built his life on was being deconstructed and they were trying to build into him kind of a new way of thinking. What must it have felt like to be Daniel, to be Shadrach, to be Meshach, to be Abednego, to be these guys? How would you live? How would you interact with life? What way would you kind of handle things? Would you just kind of step back, hide, kind of separate myself out? Or, well, just kind of blend in, just kind of see if I can make it through the three years. How would you live your life if you were in that kind of a scenario? You know, this is something that the New Testament writers actually pick up on. In fact, we referenced one of these verses a couple of weeks ago when we were reading out of 1 Peter. He writes a lot about this. And if you remember, he said, to those who are, remember we said this, elect exiles? That's in verse, chapter one, verse one. Verse 17, it goes on, he says, throughout your time as exiles. In, in chapter two, he says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. In other words, what Peter was doing for the early church and what Peter is doing for you and I is saying, your experience is like that of Daniel. That your experience is like that of an exile, a refugee, a sojourner, that it feels out of place. Why? Because this place is not your home. 
Everything that you were designed for, everything that your relationship with Jesus would, would, would kind of nurture and develop in your heart and in your life, everything else is different in this space. So my question, once again, is, well, how do we live in that kind of environment? Well, there's a couple of ways that I think we shouldn't live. I think there's three options for us. And the first one is this, simply this, and hopefully there's a, a diagram on the screen for you. But the first one is this, is separatism. Do you like that word, icky world? Separatism. In other words, you and I, how, how should we live? Well, we could make the decision to say, hey, I'm not gonna mingle with the dirty world. Oh my gosh, it's terrible. Movies are bad and TV's bad and everything's bad in the world, right? And so we're just gonna separate ourselves from that world. Well, the problem with separation like that is that that what oftentimes happens is that fear, self-preservation kind of become the motivating factor. And oftentimes what happens when we choose that path for how we are to interact and live in the world in which we live in is that we can become very legalistic, very judgmental, that somehow we're better than everybody else. Somehow it's a little bit like the Pharisees. We're more holy. And so I don't know that that's a good option for us. The other option is this idea of, and it's a fancy word called syncretism. Syncretism, which is to say, it says that we could just blend in, that we could vanish into the current culture, right? I mean, hey man, look, the world is just a different place. And and so we've got to read the Bible and interpret it through the lens of culture. Now, what's the problem with that position? Well, the problem there is that we've just inverted the authority structure. How many of you believe that in the kingdom of God, the word of God is his authority? And and so we've got to be the kinds of people that are not going to separate ourselves in the sense of, man, we're just going to stay away from the big bad world, right? But we also don't want to be the kind of people that just kind of blend in and you kind of look at us and go, I can't really tell any difference between the person that doesn't know Jesus and that person who claims that they do know Jesus. So how then should we live? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because I think that the Bible gives us an option, and I think Daniel actually gives us a phenomenal example of how we should live. And there's this little word that, it's a a guy by the name of Arnold Tornbeek, he coined this phrase when he was observing uh, the, the demise and the subsequent recovery of civilization throughout time, he coined this little phrase, a creative minority. And I think this is how you and I, as followers of Jesus, as the family of God, are actually called to live in our current cultural moment. And it's simply this. What is a creative minority? It's a community of believers who live out God's story the way Jesus taught them. That's really important. Not the way we think. Not the way we bring our own kind of ideologies or ideas or thoughts on the things. But no, no, no. The way Jesus taught us, and this is why in Colossians it says that Jesus is the invisible expression of the visible God. You want to know what God's like? Go study Jesus. Go see how Jesus interacted with the world. Go see how Jesus laid down his life for others. Go see how Jesus, when he described his own heart, said that it was gentle and lowly. In other words, it was approachable and accessible. This is how Jesus lived in the world in which we live. So we want to be those who live out the story of God, but do it the way that Jesus taught them. And why, how, why do we do it? We do it for God's glory and the good of the culture that we participate in. In other words, God is calling you and I to redemptively participate in the world in which we live by being salt 
and light. That's how we ought to posture ourselves. That I'm so in love with Jesus, I so understand the life that Jesus came to give me that I can't help but now live differently, an alternative type of lifestyle that's being offered in lieu of what the culture is offering us in a way that makes difference in the lives of those that I'm around each and every day. Think about that for a minute. How does that impact your relationship with your own family? How does that impact your relationship with your coworkers or your classmates or those that you go to the gym with? Those that you run into at the grocery store or at the gas station? It fundamentally transforms how I participate in the world in which I live. As a follower of Jesus, and remember, for God so loved the world that he gave. I don't have the right or the privilege to shake my fist at the world, to be mad and upset, but I have to be like Daniel, who was willing to participate redemptively in the foreign culture within which he found himself. And so my my question to us, in fact, I love this quote by John Tyson. He says this, it's not seeking to control nor abandon the world, but to love it to new life through redemptive participation. And so the point that I'm trying to make this morning is that that we're we're just starting a series. What's our framework for life? But, But the posture as we explore over the next few weeks how we live out life in Jesus is that we've got to be those who are willing not to separate, not to be synchronistic or just kind of blend in, but those who are different because of our relationship with Jesus, but participate redemptively in the world in which God has placed us. And Daniel is just an example of this. And my question to us as we kind of, kind of close out this thought this morning is, is, well, where did Daniel figure out that that's how he was supposed to live his life? Because you see, Daniel didn't compromise, did he? Daniel didn't just kind of blend in. Daniel, because of his relationship with Jesus, was willing to live a life with conviction, but live a life that was lovingly and supportively kind of involved with the culture around. One of the things that I love always to point out is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they they went out to the festival. They got dressed and went to the festival, but the one thing they wouldn't do is bow their knee to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. They were involved. They were there to love and to serve and to participate redemptively in culture, but they wouldn't compromise. They wouldn't cross that line because their heart and their life and their relationship, their affections were set on Jesus or set on God, set on the kingdom of God. And here's what's so interesting because as Daniel, just remember, he's probably 13 to 15 years old. And there's a prophet by the name of Jeremiah who actually prophesied who spoke to these exiles that were being taken in. You can see that in Jeremiah chapter one, but I want to drop to 29 verse one. But look what it says in verse four. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to the exiles whom I have sent into exile. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, God, you're telling me that you actually placed Daniel and Shadrach and Abednego all into that place, you must be up to something. There must be a purpose, there must be a plan. And he goes on and he says, he goes on in verse five, he says, now here's what I want you to do. So you're in exile, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters and take the wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. And look what it says, multiply there. Whoa, I think I've heard that before. 
Oh yeah, back in the Garden of Eden. When, when he says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. So wait, God, you mean that we can still be fruitful and multiply even in exile? Even when the environment is kind of not supportive of my kind of my belief or my value system or the way I see the kingdom of God and the practices of Jesus? Yeah. And he says this, do not decrease. And then look what he says in verse seven, but seek the welfare of the city to where I have sent you into exile and pray for the Lord on its behalf for its welfare, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Can Can I say it this way? I think that, that God is setting the body of Christ up to reintroduce Jesus to a culture that is so desperately in need of him. That, that this is not some sort of let down, but this is actually a setup. That there is something, when I look at foster parent night out, when I look at the opportunities that we want to kind of go into our community and how do we individually as families and as the body of Christ together live redemptively in the community or the culture in which God has placed us, I believe that God wants to do something miraculous. I believe that there are people that are far away from him that, want or that are gonna come near with him. I believe that there are people that are living in anxiety and doubt and chaos, confusion, division, all of the fracturing that's taking place in our culture. And this place, this family, is a harbor in the midst of the chaos. That this is a place where people can find Jesus, can experience Jesus. Why? Because we're choosing to live redemptively. We're choosing to posture ourselves in such a way that it's not about us. It's not about me, myself, and I. No, no, no. It's about Jesus being lifted up. It's about us making much of God. It's about the fame and deeds of God being renewed in our day. And I believe that we're the moment that we're living in is a setup by God for something supernatural that he wants to do in our community and in our culture. And I firmly believe, just three quick things are simply this. I firmly believe that number one, we can actually thrive, not just survive in exile. How many would agree with me on that? That once again, we can be a blessing. We've been blessed. God has given us so much goodness, so much of his grace, amazing grace. How sweet this sound, right? That God's given us so much of that that we're not just to hoard that for ourselves, but that we're to give that away as we participate redemptively in the world in which we live. But I also believe that we can bring glory to God in exile. That there's a quietness in our spirit. There's a love in our heart. There's a service for the world in which we live that will bring glory to God because the question that follows is simply this. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you loving your enemies? Why are you laying down your life? Why are you giving of your resource and your time and your talents? Why are you giving of yourself to do all of these things? Why? Because Jesus is the center of our world not self. And the last thing is simply this, is that I believe that we can bless and reach our community for Jesus if we'll posture ourselves that way. Not as those who are separating ourselves and pointing our finger at the world in which we live in or pointing our finger at things that maybe we don't agree with. Not, not those that are gonna maybe just kind of blend in and well, I'll just kind of go with the flow. It's just much easier to do that. 
No, no, no. We're going to be a creative minority that steps into the world in which God has placed us, just like Daniel. And we're going to build lives. We're going to build homes. We're going to nurture relationships with people that maybe don't think like we think, maybe don't look like we look like, maybe don't kind of operate the way we would operate. But because our lives are about Jesus, we're willing to step into that space and to love those that God places around us. And so next week, we're going to take some time to just kind of understand, well, help me see it from your perspective, God. What's the framework around which all of that builds? But for today, I just want you to take a moment just to close your eyes and just kind of lock yourself in with Jesus. This is just a moment for you to kind of to say, man, I don't want the kingdom of this world with all of its ideologies and ideas and man, all of these different viewpoints and no, no, no. What I want is the kingdom of God in my life. I want Jesus to be the center. And so if that's you this morning, and maybe it's for the first time, I quoted Ephesians chapter two where it says, man, I was dead in my sin. Every single one of us in this room has been dead in our sin. Struggling and striving in our own works, trying to figure out and muddle our way through life. But Jesus has broken into the hearts and the lives and the minds of so many people in this room already. But it might be that as we're just sitting here in this moment, that man, you're saying, man, my first step it's not separatism or syncretism or trying to step into... No, my first step is just towards Jesus. And here's the thing about Jesus. He's the most accessible, most approachable person you've ever met in your life. He loves you. He wants to forgive you. And he says, here I am. I'm standing at your door knocking. Will you let me in? And all you have to do just reach out, turn the handle, open the door, and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Would you forgive me? And here's what the Bible says. When we confess our sin, he immediately forgives us. He's faithful to forgive us. And if that's you this morning, in this space, I'm just asking, would you be willing, even just to slip your hand, just to say, that's me, I want to give my life to Jesus this morning. If that's you, simply slip your hand up. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. So Jesus, we thank you for new life that comes through you. We thank you that we're forgiven for our sins, that, but not just forgiven, that you give us your righteousness, your freedom, your life. And so, Lord, I pray that in this moment, Lord, for those who have given their life to you, that you would, Father, immediately sin forgiven but Lord there is new life and invite them into that relationship with you my simple second kind of prayer this morning for all of us but I want you to just do some business with God to say man have you been over on the separatist kind of I'm just separating myself or have you been over on the I'm just kind of blending in if that's you this morning maybe the Holy Spirit's just speaking to you right now I want you to take a step in your heart, in your mind, to say, Lord, I want to posture myself to live redemptively, to live with conviction, to live knowing that I'm a child of the kingdom of God, but not to compromise, but to step into that space where I'm willing to be used by you. If that's you this morning, 
and I'm raising my hand, would you slip your hand up to heaven just to acknowledge, say, I wanna make that step. I wanna do that today. So Jesus, this morning, you see us. And Lord Jesus, we're simply lifting our hands to you. Lord, we're simply saying we wanna step into that space of being those who are your children, who are part of your kingdom. Lord, believing that you've placed us here on this earth to, Father, be salt and to be light for the world in which we live. And so, Lord Jesus, we take that step today in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen.